today. Today, we're going to be teaching through the book. We're going to start uh, teaching through the book of Jonah. And I think it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Our hope is to do that here over this month, the month of April and May, is to use this book of Jonah. And many of you will be like, oh, yeah, I know the book of Jonah. There's a whale or a fish, and there's a storm, and there's a guy, right? However you know it, right? Many of you believe maybe it's a Sunday school story and things like that, but what a beautiful story that we can find ourselves in. So we've entitled that Journey with Jonah. This is a story that's meant to elicit story, right? That's meant to, there's meant to be a connectedness to it. The story begets story. It would remind you of a story of your past that maybe God is wanting to, to pull you into. Maybe it's a story that you're encountering right now. Right, but I want you to find yourself. Let the story prompt you. So uh, one of the things that's interesting about this book is that this story, right, this, the book of Jonah, it's small and we're going to go through it all, right? But it invites playfulness. So how many of you, when you think of the Bible, would put the word playful <laughs> as an adjective uh, within it? Anybody? Does anyone, right? Does has anyone, has, has the Bible been a tool of playfulness? Has been a book of playfulness? And, and for some, maybe even with that word of playfulness, it's like, no, no, no. The, the, the Bible is a book, a book to be able to take seriously. But not playfully. But yet Jonah's one of those books where, yeah, the text is most serious. But it's also most playful. It is a playful story. And so that my hope in this is that we would be invited into the playfulness of the story. We could take it seriously, but playfully. I think many people have um, experienced the abuse within the religious systems of our day because the words of God have been used as a hammer, right? A, a mallet to bang you on the head. And most of us, that's how we even talk about it. God hit me over the head with this truth, right? God struck me with a shovel, right? <laughs> and that does happen, right? But there is a playfulness. So I want to invite you, children, teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, 90s, and those maybe if you're over 100 into the playfulness of the story. May you find yourself in it. So this story of Jonah is it could be described as a parable with a prayer in the middle. And parables and prayers are like tools. So Eugene Peterson, when he writes about that love, Eugene Peterson, Peterson as a guide and as a, as a teacher and as a pastor, right? He is, he is uh, the author, right? The one who translated the scriptures into the version called The Message. And he's written a ton of books, but he was most commonly known as a pastor. But he says that parables and prayers are tools that bring awareness of truth to people who were dulled by living in a religious context. And so if, if you have come to church for a long time, that might be you, right? That might be you being dulled into the religious context, dulled into it. But yet these are tools that would bring us into an awareness of truth to God.
And so as we find ourselves in the story, I want to highlight, here's the text that we're going to be looking at today. Let me share this with you this morning. Just going to look at a few verses here. So you should be able to see this, what I've shared with you on the screen here. This is in Jonah 1. And we're just going to read this first movement of the story, and that is just the first three verses. So would you read with us? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. The great city and cry out against it because their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and boarded it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, in this story, the movement is immediate, right? Immediate from the beginning in this story. That's where you find ourselves in this. Immediate. In the first movement of the story, God speaks to Jonah, go here, share this message with these people, and Jonah is disobedient. From the first word, nope, not going to do it. The first movement of the story shows uh, Jonah disobedient. So what's going to be really interesting is I look at this first one and kind of step into these first three verses and just spend some time as we journey with Jonah in this and maybe find ourselves in the story. There's a number of movement within this whole story. But as we find ourselves in it, I'm going to allude to parts at the end of the story, right? Because some of you might know it, right? The story of Jonah, it, it took place like 700 years before Jesus, as far as was was accounted for, right? This whole story of Jonah. Jonah, God calls out to Jonah. He goes to Nineveh, um, or he calls out to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah flees, gets on a ship, heads for Tarshish. And there's a big storm that God throws down. The sailors are afraid. They throw Jonah overboard. Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish. Inside the fish, Jonah prays. The fish vomits him up onto dry land. God calls to him again. <laughs> Go to Nineveh. Jonah goes. He does this thing and they are in Nineveh, but he's angry and mad the whole time, but does it. He's obedient, but angry. He goes on the hill to watch. The people of Nineveh hear the message. They repent. They change their deeds. And God relents. And then Jonah's mad at the end, and there's this whole plant that grows over him. That's the story, right? So it's, this, it's so such an interesting story, right? A, a, a story that, that is in there. Arise and go. And so the first part of the story is Jonah disobedient, right? And the end of the story, or that middle part, when he goes back, is going to show him obedient. But here's the part that's so interesting. In both times, Jonah fails, And what's, uh, what's so interesting of that is that we actually never see a successful Jonah. He never gets it right. And how do you find this story? And Eugene Peterson says, oh, I find this comforting. <laughs> 
I think for so many of us, we think, no, 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 we, we want to get it right, right? We want to we want to get this right. Isn't this about showing us how to be successful in this life and how to live? And wouldn't that be discomforting, right? But it's, no, it, it, it's comforting. He never gets it right. It's comforting that Jonah is not a model to live up to. It's not a model that shows up our inadequacies. But now this is a this is a training of humility, which turns out to be not a groveling, right? In our in in our inadequacies, not a sense of like oh, but in this like this like cheerful humility. That's that sense of the playfulness, a cheerful humility, but yet in light of our inadequacies. A playfulness in it. And that's when we might find our stories. And hopefully, as we take a look at this today, that's where I long for us to go, right? To be able to step into that story in that way. To be able to see this story in that way. But the first word is that God speaks to Jonah, go. And Jonah does go, <laughs> right? He like, he like goes. It, it, that's so interesting. He hears God speak to him and he goes. He just goes in the opposite direction to, to Tarshish. Right, so I'll throw you up a map, right? For those of you who are interested in just being able to see the interesting movement of this. Oops, let me... Here we go. Here's this map, if you can see that highlighted there for you. So you can kind of see where Jonah is. Jonah was from the area of Goth Heifer. And yeah, but, but so that's where Jonah is from. I had the pleasure of um, going to that place when I went to Israel because we were studying the book of Jonah while I was there. And we went to Goth Heifer, which is like this little hill where people think that place was. And then we traveled down to Joppa. And Joppa is where after God spoke to Jonah at Goth Heifer, um, he heads on this little journey down to Joppa, which is on the Mediterranean Sea. And that's where Jonah takes a boat. Now, God had told him to go to Nineveh. That was the mission that he first invited him, and that's in the area of Syria, and there's lots of history there with the people, and that's where a number of the Jewish people were taken as exiles. Uh, um, when they were just uh, the northern kingdom was pulled into to that area of Assyria, into Nineveh, so it has a sort of a tragic history to it. And it's about 550 miles or so from Goth Hefer to Nineveh, and and Jonah hears that, and he's going to jump on a sea voyage from Joppa to Tarshish. And you can kind of see that's about, it, it's sort of like that area of Spain, right? On that corner there, the northern tip of Africa and Spain. And that's where people believe that's where um, Tarshish is. It's about 2,500 miles. Many to believe it to be like a voyage that would have potentially taken a year to get there. You know, in order for that. And that's the journey that Jonah takes. It's fascinating, isn't it? Right? Like, well, he hears from God, yet he goes in the opposite direction. He goes, that's an act of obedience, kind of, but, but yet Jonah chooses the destination, it, which is such a fascinating little story, right? Like, that's interesting. God, God he, why didn't just Jonah just stay where he was? Why wouldn't he just say no? But yet, Something interesting happens here, right? He chooses his destination, Tarshish. And there's this irony that's repeated. 
not in our lifetime. It's repeated in us, and it's repeated here in Jonah. And here's the irony, right? That Jonah uses the command of God. Hey, go to Nineveh to avoid the presence of God. Do you get that? That's a real super irony, right? And that's what it says. It says, Jonah rose, in verse 3, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here's the irony. You use the commands of God to flee the presence of God. And many kind of people get in that, like, this sort of, like, this sense of, like, is that even possible? Can you ever flee the presence of God? And it's like, it's, uh, sometimes I find academics and certain people being hung on these, these conversations that have so little right they're like who can lead who can flee the presence of god this is an impossibility in life and they get in a conversation that has no meaning and it's sort of like can god make a tree that he can't lift right or if the tree falls down in the wilderness and no one hears it did it make a sound or those kinds of questions right but yet there there is something here he takes the word of god and then at the command of god begins to flee the presence of god away from God. Yeah, this can happen. Right? Where you can, we can do this. It's really interesting that this idea of the presence of the Lord that's told us twice within these first little verses, right? The Hebrew word for that is panim, or panah, face. It, 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 that's that's the, the literal word, right? And like Hebrew has lots of meanings as well as our language it does too and the way that it's translated. And so the way that that word, the panah, the panim, is translated is its presence, right? But the literal, the literal Hebrew word when he's going to escape from the presence of God was the face, from the face of God. It's just a, it's, it's a powerful word that, that to, to understand the presence and for that to be the face of God um, and to flee from that uh, says so much, right? Like this idea, this noun, the panim, the pana, right? That's just a different uh, versions of it, right? The different ways of that noun. It conveys lots of ideas of mood and emotions and thoughts. In the same way that our face conveys all of those things, mood, emotions, and thoughts. I mean, so, so much recently, right, when they talk about sort of like what your face is saying, right, that our face even is almost like the expressions of our face is so much quicker than even what's happening. Like our face is immediately moving to convey things that is going on in our hearts. And you can't even, sometimes you're trying your most to pretend you're not thinking something, but your face is showing it. That our face reveals so much of that nonverbal communication that is there. This Hebrew word, it, 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 it does mean presence, right? It's a wholeness of being, this face. It's really interesting that from the first time that all of us as humans, one of the first things that we actually look upon, that we take notice of, that our eyes take focus on, our first vista is a face. Their faces, they're the faces of our caretakers, of our providers, right? Those are the first things that we see. The face of our, our parentals or our caretakers. And in their face, we begin to realize who we are. We have some sense of ourselves. And in their expressions, we learn our place in this world. 
And in that face, we acquire trust and affection. That's how we were designed to be. And in the most terrible stories, right? Rejection and abuse. But in our formation, in our formative years, in that face, right? We're spent looking up into that face and, and we grow up toward that of what we are looking up to. That's what it is to flee the presence of God. It's, the, it's just the, the face of God, the affection of God, the delight of God, the guidance of God. It's like one of the first things to know is that is to know delight, right? To know that that God might delight in us. That would just delight in our being. I remember I, I heard hearing for the first time that Hebrew expression. This is a Hebrew expression, and it said that um, God danced at your birth. It's the first time I first time I heard that it took me, right? It, that um, that imagery of God dancing at my birth, or dancing at your birth, yeah, delighting, delighting over us, right? I think sometimes in, in some of the doctrines and some of the theologies that some aspects of Christianity have pushed were ones of like, no, 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 you know what God sees? He sees your sin. He doesn't delight in you. He looks upon your sin, even from your birth, you're wicked. And you can know no good outside of Jesus, right? Like that, that kind of a, of a theology in there. But that's misconstrued, right? Yeah, we have sin. But the overwhelming posture of God is the, the one who looks upon what he created as good. Wanting to love it, wanting to redeem it. Dancing upon us and his face is one of delight. In the same way that when a parent caregiver looks upon the child in their arms it's delight right it's joy it's care Jonah wanted to flee that he wanted to flee from the presence this wholeness the face of God how does one do that right we kind of say if you want to get into the weird theological conversation of that right you can anyone flee the presence of God is there anywhere where he does not see no, right, but you can flee the presence of God. I can, I can give you two, I can tell you in two words how you can do it. Get busy, <laughs> right? Be consumed. Have you ever fled God's presence and activity? Right, just get busy. I mean, that, that what's the most dangerous thing and the, the most humbling of this stuff is that the most religious people are the ones who flee God's presence. In activity, that's taking the command of God in order to flee the presence of God. Have you ever gotten busy doing the things of God, which you, right, he says you're supposed to be doing, but yet there's no sense of God's presence? We get busy. We respond to the divine initiative, but in some way, we sort of, like in the way of Jonah, we choose the destination. We can maybe even engage in the religious activity without having to deal with God. And I think many of us have seen that. We, we have seen that in others who are we see, that's what we see in religion. Divine activity without the presence of God, without the mystery of God, without the awesomeness of God, without the beauty of God. 
And what people have rejected, so many have rejected within religion, is that. It's not a rejection of the awesomeness and the beauty and the goodness of God. It's a rejection of this activity without, the, without God, right? But you can flee the presence of God. Just, just get busy. Well, why would anyone want to do that? Why would you want to flee the presence of God? Well, maybe, right? You've got the wrong picture of God in your head in the first place. I re uh, remember the story of the prodigal son where um, the elder son, you can read this in, I think it's in John 15, right? The older son has this picture in the story of the prodigal son. The father is the picture of God. And the older son has this picture of God the father saying when, he, when the younger son returns home and God throws a party and takes a fattened calf, some cows, some beef, and throws a party. And the older son's like, you never threw a party for me. Right? I've, been, I've been slaving for you all these years. You've never done this for me. You never let me have a good time with my friends. And the father's like, everything I have is yours. You don't, you, you've got the wrong picture of me. You've misunderstood. You think you're slaving away, right? So why would someone want to flee the presence of God? Well, they got the wrong picture of God in their head. They don't understand the Father. The name that God has given them. In a way, the sense, the brother says, I've worked for you for all of this, all these years, and you've never given that. Look at what I've done. Look at what I deserve. We even find, in, tragically, in our history, we see leaders doing this, right? Where they, they put their hands so much into this work that they've been distorted into thinking that they then, right? Here, here's God, and then they can, they can do other things. So they, they flee the presence of God and all the activity. Or maybe you'd want, why would you want to flee the presence of God? Because maybe you just want to be in control. Right? You get to pick, right? You get to, you get to choose. You want to be God. Religious leaders are dangerous for this, right? Or you're so used to talking about God and teaching about God, or maybe you've even experienced God. The ex this ecstasy, this wholeness of God. And there comes this temptation to reproduce the experience as God. And so you start creating all this stuff. So you're in control that what you're doing is the experience of God. And so then being loved by God is twisted into a lust, like to God performance. To be God. I've done that where my control, where it's like I had this idea. Right? It, it, it's so much small, right? Like it's so these small things. Um, it was really funny for the last couple of years. We had these ideas in order to give lilies away at Easter as a way of loving people, right? And and wanting to put those lilies into people's hands to say, "I oh, love your neighbors." Let it be a message of hope. And and my hope was always like we'd give it to people who didn't know God's love, right? Who were like outside of that family and stuff. And that's totally my agenda, right? Like I'm like, but I, I, um, I think I'm an evangelist at the heart. I want to see people that don't know Jesus know him, right? And so as I was casting that to people, I'm like, give these to your, give these to your, your friends and your family who don't know Jesus. Don't know Jesus. 
um, and we put it into the hands of people, and I was like, hey, what happened? Who'd you give it to? And somebody would report back. They're like, yeah, I was, I was, I was asking God, and felt like the Lord was supposed to, I was supposed to give them to um, my neighbor, and they're a Christian, and, but they just needed to be encouraged with God. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I told you to give them to the people who didn't know Jesus. And what, what's the Spirit of God getting in my business and telling you to give those to somebody else? How dare you not listen to Pastor Bo McCarthy, pastor of the big time Genesis, the church, and you follow the Spirit of the Lord? Right? Like that, that's where our own, our own control can, can get in the way, right? ridiculous right and sometimes we can we can forget that man it's the spirit of god why would why would somebody want to flee right why would you want to do this right maybe you don't have that picture of god right maybe you want to be in control or maybe it's just tarshish right um Many believe that Tarshish was like this, like this idea, right? It was like the launching place of the world. It was the idea of adventure. It was the great unknown. It was a place of great, like, amazement, right? Tarshish was the greener pastures. And so many of us, Right, we, we, we kind of think with this idea that there, there's more, that, oh, this is the missing piece. This is what I've been looking for. Now, this is way more exciting than what I'm doing. It's Tarshish. And so I get to kind of choose, right? I'll, I'll, t I'll take this and I'll head to my Tarshish. I can get to that. I can understand that. It was more exciting. Nineveh had a whole bunch of weird history. Tarshish was something else. It was exotic. It was adventure. It had the appeal of the unknown. It was a fantasy. And so maybe sometimes we could choose to be away from God's face because we're just like, no, 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 I, ac I actually need this. But in reality, in closer examination, though, there are no greener pastures. There are no Tarshishes. This is an illusion. Uh, for me, I've had this idea of Tarshish, and for me, it's not a—it's not a—it's um, not a destination of a location. Right? It's not a place. It's like this idea—it's this, uh, this this idolized, it's this ideal state of being, where all of a sudden we're gonna get it, and we're gonna make it here. Everybody's gonna be like hitting all, running all cylinders. We're gonna be hearing from God all the time. We're gonna be stepping into what God has for us. We're gonna be reaching out to our neighbors. There's gonna be all this amazing movement, right? And in this community of people, there's gonna be no gossip, right? And in this community, there's gonna be no broken down stuff. There's gonna be no conflicts, right? And in this community, people aren't gonna get hung up on the minor. They're gonna understand what the major stuff is. They're gonna jump in and that nobody's gonna be complaining about the minor stuff or grumbling about that. In this community, disciples don't quit, right? In this community, people don't jump into new communities because they're just like, eh, I don't feel like I'm growing, or I don't like how you're responding to COVID, or I don't like the music, or I don't like that pastor, or I don't like that. That doesn't happen in this community. Mm -mm, not in my Tarshish, right? And in this community, it's not led by a sinner. Right? Perfect for people. 
And as you can imagine, that is, a that is an illusion. Because in every congregation, every community, every community of faith is a community of sinners. And if that, if that weren't bad enough, it is led by a sinner. <laughs> right? It's led by broken people. And so this story, right, like of leaving God's presence, it gives us like this proper warning, but in a playful way. You catch that? It's a playful warning. And in this story, and this is the playfulness, this is the funny of this, right? This is the playfulness. The story shows Jonah, it shows Jonah's obedience in this story. His obedience when he finally goes to Nineveh, as we get into the story, you're going to see this, that it's far more unattractive than Jonah's disobedience. And you can say, how can that be? That when Jonah finally does actually do what God tells him to do, it's so much uglier <laughs> than his disobedience. Because And so we're going to see next week in Jonah's disobedience, when he's going to Joppa, he at least cares for the sailors on the ship that he's on. But when he goes to Nineveh, he does not care one bit about these people. Yet he's obedient to what God's fighting him in. It's just proper warning of this. And so this is the surprise in Jonah's life. Here's the surprise in it all. Of the disobedience and of the obedience, God still used him to save people. Even in the ugliness of his obedience, God was still in the act of saving people, bringing good to people. And I love that Eugene Peterson is continuing to encourage me in this, right? That we never do get a picture of the kind of God followers that we want to be in this story, right? This story is not doesn't give us the, the picture of the kind of God followers that we want to be. Right? But only of the kind of people that, in fact, we are. And so there's this mirror of this story that we can put up to ourselves. And the story of Jonah has this sense of this sort of double failure. Right? The, the failure in his disobedience and also the failure of his obedience. And that in itself would feel like this like unbearable burden, right? It'd almost be like, well, what's the point, right? Why would I even desire to be obedient if it's still going to be kind of ugly? But there's this beautiful, beautiful picture that this dimension, this surprise in the story that God is working his purposes through who we actually are. Right? God, God is working, and I and I do want to move into obedience because I believe that's good. But it's always kind of knowing that even in it, there's probably some ugliness, right? There's there's a humility in it. That it's God who's working. God is working His purposes through who we actually are. Maybe our rash disobedience, or our heartless obedience. God generously uses our lives as he finds us to do his work. 
And that's what I believe we're being invited into as a people to live into that, a God who, generous, who generously uses our lives as he finds us. That God would show his goodness and his love. And this, in the end, is a way that we would never be able to take credit. Right? That we would be able to laugh. We'd be able to look back and see what God has done. That in some way, that somewhere along the way, we would grasp this, this amazing, surprised pleasure of the victories and the good things that God has accomplished. Right? In all these places of our lives, in the sea, right? Or in the city, in which we have our strange Jonah part. But yes, the presence of God is in it all. And we don't want to flee from it, right? But you get your Jonah apart, and we want to have that sort of, I love that language that Eugene uses there, the strange pleasure, right? Of God generously showing it, grasping this with surprise pleasure at the victories that God has accomplished, in which we have our strange Jonah part. And God has his as Savior. And so I guess this was my question for the day. For you, right? Even in this beginning, there's three verses. What's your strange Jonah part you're finding yourself with right now, right? It's the one you relate to fleeing God's presence. What can you relate to? What's the story bringing up for you? in this moment, right? The story begets story. Is it wanting to flee from the presence of God and busyness? Is it wanting to go to Tarshish? Or maybe you want to get it all right? So what's it bringing up for you? And what's God wanting to speak in? God wanting to say to you as you find yourself in this story. As we journey with Jonah. So let me just pause and pray, and then I'm going to hand it to Pete. Oh, gracious Father, would you illuminate with the story that we're finding ourselves or how we relate to this story um, with a playfulness, God, that would in the end, lead us to praise to you, into your presence. And that would pull us back into full community where we could be known, didn't have to pretend, that we could be fully in your face and be face-to-face -face with others with no illusion. May we know that wholeness. May we know that oneness. God, we praise you for the good that you're wanting to do in the world. We say, go, Jesus, go with that good. Can we smile in the end of realizing that you're inviting us into this? And we say, why in the world would you do that? <laughs> oh, but in the same way with a father who invites the child to help on a project where the child is literally of no good. <laughs> but yeah, you want them to be a part. 
and you tell us that our work is not in vain. It is for good. Jesus, come and speak. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Come and get our attention in this story. That we might actually find ourselves in your presence today and not far from it. We might be okay with being in your presence today. Not afraid of it. But finding your grace and your humility and your goodness. Hearing your call, receiving your love, seeing your good hand, seeing your salvation. Come, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Bo. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but for me, it's really comforting to know um, that one of the big books, one of the big focus guys in the Bible, Jonah, um, is, is really about focusing on or highlighting his failure, and he doesn't get it right, but God still uses him, and that's such a good thing um, to, to be reminded of, and I find for myself the interesting thing that I, I started to think about, Bo, you were saying that, you know, just busyness and that uh, keeps him from then acting. I think sometimes for me, at least, it even keeps me from getting to the point of even hearing from God in the first place and being in his presence. So I guess for me today, the thing that I was hearing God say to me was, hey, slow down to hear me and take breaks to stop and 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 really be in my presence to hear me. And so and then what is it then for the rest of you, for the rest of us? What does that look like for us to be in God's presence and hear or slow down and stop in the first place, but then also to take that and do? And where do you find yourself, as Bo was saying in the story? Where do you find yourself? Where do we find ourselves here today? And if you're getting anything from the spirit, listen and, and put that into action and also share that with others around you. Just have a conversation about what you're hearing and and how Jonah is a good example of failure, but failure where where God actually does some really great stuff and shows up in the midst of it. And it's if he can do it with Jonah and the crazy um, the extents that he went to, he can definitely do it with me and with you. So I'm encouraged by that today. So yeah, we're gonna let you guys uh, we're gonna lift the mute and we can talk with each other, but enjoy uh, your time together now, and then also enjoy your day. It turned into a really sunny day outside, so enjoy that. Okay, everybody should be able to unmute themselves for those who want to stick around and chat. Goodbye, Facebook. God bless you.